Welcome to Texans Unfiltered. Here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, brought to you by Run Game Clothing. Go to RunGameClothing.com, use promo code UNFILTERED for 15% off your order. Uh, I talked to Travis yesterday, and it sounds like there should be some new uh, playoff swag coming out here in uh, this week at some point. So uh, make sure you guys go to RunGameClothing.com, promo code UNFILTERED for 15% off your order. Uh, Also, real quick, uh, Twin Peaks. In Round Rock this Sunday at 2.05, we will be there. We had a great showing on Saturday with a bunch of listeners. We'll be doing it again this Sunday. Uh, I'll be getting with uh, Twin Peaks Management uh, tomorrow to see if we can get the room and see whatever else I could potent- potentially swindle uh, out of them. Uh, so if you guys are not going to Kansas City and you guys want to watch the game with a bunch of crazy fans like Cody, who are just nuts, uh, drive two and a half hours from Houston and come to the Twin Peaks and Round Rock. We're going to be there. There's already about 11 of us. Um, if you guys want to come, uh, feel free to just shoot me either a DM on Twitter or shoot me an email at james at texansunfiltered.com. We had a hell of a time. It was, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, Cody is, is nuts, just so everybody understands. Like, nuts, I'm honestly... Uh, honestly, I don't know if nuts really puts into perspective uh, Cody's fandom. I, John, I, I think it's like fair the, to say that he might be the craziest fan I've ever seen in my life. He's, I'm going to give him the uh, the title of the J.J. Watt of fandom. He's out there. Oh. <laughs> He's out there. He is all in. He is definitely all in. <laughs> oh, my God. Every t- the, the table behind us would not stop laughing at, at us because of Cody. Um and I it, loved it, it every moment of it, dude. And, it was, and it was I great. loved. It. I was just about to say, and it, honestly, there were so many moments that were great from him. That he, he tried to stay positive, but man, when things weren't going right, positive vibes only. Positive vibes only. <laughs> it flipped on a dime when things weren't going our way. But God, uh, but yeah, he kept everybody in 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 in, in check mentally and. Uh, kept the positive vibes. Shout out to Ryan driving all the way from Corpus Christi and Jonathan from the South and just everybody that came. Preston coming in from Boston. This was just a, this was a really fun fun environment. I don't want to say fun game. I'll say fun second half in overtime. Uh, but I, I I don't feel comfortable saying a fun game. We'll get into that. But um, yeah, if you guys want to come hang out and watch the game with us, we'll be at Twin Peaks on Sunday at 3 or 2.05. So uh, feel free to let us know, hit us up, um, so I can get um, a spot big enough for all of us. Um, all right, John. I mean, where do you want to begin? Where Where do we start this one? So funny story. Um, I'd actually started to write an article this week and just kind of ran out of time. And it, this isn't in our notes, and I probably should put it in the notes so I could have my thoughts more in order. If you haven't seen the movie Creed, you need to see the movie Creed. The first one. The first one. The second However, one, eh? Eh, second one. But the first one is one of the best boxing movies up there. It's up there with the original Rocky. It's just one I of agree. my favorite movies of the past 10 years, easily. I agree. 
There is an intro song that the guy at the end uses where he's like, don't waste my time. That was entirely what was my inspiration for an article this week. Don't waste our time. Come out here. We need something. We need something more. Don't waste our time. Deshaun needs it. Don't waste his time. JJ needs it. Don't waste his time. This is the article was about. This game, if we went in there and we lost it, this season's a complete waste of time. And probably even a waste of the time going forward for seasons afterwards. If this team right now could not beat the Buffalo Bills in a playoff game, this season was just a complete, utter waste of all of our time. And thankfully, they didn't waste our time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, I think... I think this win does a lot of different things, and I guess we'll talk about this a little bit, but I, I think really the biggest thing that this does is it really gets that monkey off your back uh, for this team, right? This is a new team. This is a new regime. This is a new starting quarterback. Yes, it's the same coach, but um, the atmosphere in NRG and around Houston regarding this team is a different vibe. It's not the same vibe, right? There's hope, right, with Deshaun Watson at quarterback. And, and getting his first playoff win, um, it's a big step. It's a big step in the right direction. Now he knows what it feels like. Now he also knows what it takes. Um, on top of that, just talking about this season in general and, and this playoff run that we're hoping to be on, the wild card teams in the past that have made a run deep into the playoffs typically have faced some um, – why can't I think of the word, John? I know you're thinking it because you're better with that. The adversity you face in as a wild card team, there's a lot of it. And you need a lot of bounces to go your way to be able to make the type of run that the Giants made. Um, that uh, there, there was a couple other teams. but um, Yeah, you need a you, game like this or you need a situation like this that will galvanize you. It kind of wakes them up. Makes correct. them know that this is possible. That they absolutely can do it. There's, there was a team that showed up for a quarter and overtime that can beat any team that is in the playoffs. I agree. There's also a team that showed up for three quarters that will get our asses left out of the playoffs. Two and a half, but yep. So. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think with uh, – with this win, this is really something you build on. And we've talked about building on, right, a lot this season. We've talked about it when it came to the Chiefs. We talked about it when it came to the Patriots. We talked about it uh, when it came to the Colts. We talked about it. Um, oh, there's another one. The Chargers game. We, we've talked about building momentum, but the team has not yet to really build the momentum and carry it on to the next week. Typically, when we have wins like this or – games that we're not supposed to win the following week, we come out flat-footed. Um, hopefully, that changes. And, and this week is, is the week that we – look, we're very fortunate to go to Kansas City um, and not go to Baltimore this early in the playoffs. You know, thank you, Titans, for that. Uh, and, and we'll get more into that and the Chiefs later. But right now, when I say you need a lot of things to break your way to make a run in the playoffs, this is one of those things. This is one of those things. You, you want to play a team you're familiar with and that you've beaten already in the regular season, the Chiefs. You would much rather play them than the Baltimore Ravens. Anything can happen in the Titans-Ravens game. 
you know, nobody expected the Titans to beat the Patriots. There were some that did. Uh, John and I thought there was a good chance that they could. But at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson could get hurt. Uh, anything can happen. The Titans could pull off a miracle and beat the Ravens, right? Those are the type of things that happen in the NFL, in the playoffs, that really get people, get teams going. And we're in a perfect position for that to be the case. I'm glad we're going to Kansas City. I am not scared of the Chiefs. I'm, I, I don't think this is an overstatement. I'm, I'm, I was more scared to play the Bills than I am to play the Chiefs this Sunday. I'm going to disagree with that. That's fine. Well, you However, disagree, it's my opinion, yeah, but yeah, yeah your yeah, opinion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to, well, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> go ahead. There we go, there we go. No, um, I can understand where you're coming from. I understand why you have that opinion. I don't share that opinion. However, what I would say is I was more nervous about the Texans coming out flat in the playoffs and more so than the Bills themselves. And the Texans almost justified that fear. Well, they didn't almost justify that fear. They did justify that fear. They came out beyond flat. Deshaun came out beyond flat. They just came out and looked like hell. Now, with the Chiefs and with us, I think that we match up better against the Chiefs than we do against any of the remaining teams. And I would actually rank it Chiefs, Titans, Ravens in order of uh, of what team I would prefer to play. So we have that going for us. And it's a road game, so Deshaun will usually play better on a road game. However, the Chiefs still scare the absolute hell out of me. Oh, see, this is, this is where, like... For me, here's why I I was more scared of the Bills than I was the Chiefs, and a lot of it just had to do with that defense that we would be playing with the Bills. We've seen what happens to this offense and this quarterback when you play a defense like that. That's a very aggressive defense. They'll send everybody at you. They'll change things up. They have very good skill players on the defensive side of the ball that can make a difference. And on top of that, they were really still more of an unknown, right? The Bills... Yes, we know that they finished ten and six, but at the end of the day, we we all, we don't know truly what their fully potential what their full potential is. And you can see in in the NFL that at any given time, a team can hit on that potential. We know what the Chiefs have, we know what their potential is, and we know what their weaknesses are. We're yeah, familiar Bills, with this opponent. The Bills were coming coming out with a puncher's chance. They were going to throw everything they had at us. They were one of those teams that, yeah, they're absolutely. That was what was scary about them because they were going to put it all on the line. I think the Chiefs potentially may overlook us just a little bit and think, thank God they got the Texans and look, not necessarily look past us, but just that kind of, all right, not really fear us. Whereas, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, my only point. We'll get... We'll get into the uh, Chiefs preview here in a little bit, but let's actually you want to get back to talking about this game before we go too far down this rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I don't want to talk about the matchup. I just I, I I want I just wanted to say that I I honestly was much more scared to play the Bills than I am the Chiefs, and a lot of that just has to do with the fact that I think this offense with Will Fuller without Will Fuller can shred that Kansas City defense. I did not know that going into the Bills game. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, so, I mean, 
right, let's hop right into it. The good, the bad, the what the hell. Um, let's start with the the conversation that we were starting to have at the end of the half. You know, what's going on with Deshaun Watson? Yeah, and you know we've we, we've seen this in the regular season. He'll disappear when when it, it seems like when he's down, he's down, and when he's up, he's up, and. It started off with missing open receivers, taking sacks. Five out of the seven sacks were on Deshaun Watson. They were all, all five of them were on Deshaun. I just rewatched the game just now before we started recording. It, all five, or five out of the seven were on Deshaun. And we talked about it last week with these negative plays. Negative plays in the regular season aren't as detrimental, but negative plays in the playoffs can really be a drive killer. And we saw it very early on. There were, I think there were four sacks in the first half. Those things cannot happen. You have to learn to live and play another down. Have to. And I don't know if he's ever going to do that, no matter the stage. Yeah, there's a, re- there's a reason why um, this week on the preview we changed it to the good, the bad, and the what the hell. Because talking about Deshaun, especially after this game, is you cannot talk about the good without talking about the bad. There cannot be a highlights and a low light separated out because they are definitely intertwined this week. Deshaun is going to probably spend the next, oh, it was even after the game, but it's going to be this entire week going up to the Chiefs. We're going to hear how the only reason we won, the only reason that Bill O'Brien still has a job coaching, blah, 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 is because of Deshaun. However, you've also got to remember that Deshaun is also the reason we almost lost the game as well, especially in the first half. Yes, he finished with a QBR uh, or a QB rating of 121.2 or yeah, point two, which is four points below a perfect rating. Yes, he led the team in whatever PFF grade. Yes, that looks like he had a great game. He had a great quarter. He had a great, great quarter. The first three quarters of the game, I don't know if it was indecisive. I don't know if he was just putting too much pressure on himself trying to make the big play. But those sacks weren't just from him refusing to give up on the play. It was him just not knowing what to do with the play. Like, he wasn't throwing the ball away. He wasn't looking to run. He wasn't looking to pass. He just looked lost. And he had open receivers Yeah. on, on those plays. Yeah, and there was plenty of people running wide open. Yeah, exactly. And then I think that's really the biggest thing. Is you know the, the first play of the game, I screamed out, uh, of course, first read throw, first read throw. But when you watch Deshaun, a lot of his throws are first read throws, and it's not concerning as of yet because this is basically his second year, right? These are things that are going to come with time. But we've talked about the half field offense that he ran at Clemson, and now we're watching him, you know, execute a first read offense and. For us to be able to be the team that we think we are, that can't be the case. No, and there's times where Deshaun looks incredible, incredibly cerebral. There's times where you're like, okay, he's he's getting this. And then there's times where this is the guy that his calling card coming in is he was the big play quarterback, that not, or the big game quarterback, that the brighter the lights, the better that he played. And... 
three quarters of this game and the entire playoff game last year, it actually seemed like the pressure was getting to him. And I, it is very, very concerning. But the last quarter of the game, once it started to click, once we started playing with momentum, and I, that's the thing with Deshaun is he's such a momentum quarterback. When, the team, when things are going good for the team, he elevates. It's all about the rhythm for him. And I, sometimes I think that the next step for him will be him creating the rhythm. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I, I agree. I mean, as a quarterback and as a leader of the franchise, I mean, you, you have to create the rhythm. You can't you can't rely on everybody else to do it. And, you know, it's a lot different from college, you know, and this game is a lot faster. Deshaun has to be able to understand that his progressions are there for a reason. He has to learn to go through them, and he has to learn to be able to step up in the pocket. It's not about always stepping outside or stepping left and right. When the pocket is collapsing, there were so many times that he could have just stepped up and it would have bought him another second or two. But instead, in his mind, he has that internal clock that tells him, nope, you have your feet, use them. And that's fine if you're going to throw the ball away. I wonder if some of that has been how bad our offensive line was last year. He was at his absolute best when he first came into the league, that's what he was doing really well. That was one of the – Yep. I remember us talking about it his rookie season where at Clemson he would run into sacks. He would outrun his left tackle going backwards, and he would run into the pressure. And then his first couple of years or his first couple of games, his rookie season, that was the first thing that I noticed. He was stepping up into the pocket, and he was keeping his eyes down here, downfield and still scanning to throw. And then at some point, I think it was last year, he regressed back to the player that he was in Clemson. And he's got to fix it, and I don't – right now our offensive line is actually pretty good. Even with Roderick Johnson and Chris Clark, you know, sometimes looking like like doo-doo out there as well. But for the most part, our offensive line is a lot better than it was, and maybe he just needs to get faith in it again. Well, the best part is that, uh, especially when it comes to the playoffs right now, I mean, the the Kansas City Chiefs don't really have a pass rush. You don't really have to worry about. Uh, the Titans don't really have a pass rush that you have to worry about. And even the Ravens don't really have a pass rush that you have to worry about. So not saying that we're going to make it to the Super Bowl. What I'm saying is, is really, honestly, from a defensive perspective and a defensive line perspective, we just faced the, the, the hardest team that we could face in that, in that perspective. For the rest of the playoffs, yeah. I mean, unless we make, unless we play the Niners in the Super Bowl, then it's a then then you know we'll have another conversation about the podcast, but on the podcast. But right now, um, you really don't have to worry about Roderick and Chris Clark at all on the right side as much as we did this last week. I mean, we talked about it last week with Jerry Hughes. He's so fast. That's that's it, it's not about like him being this all-time pass rusher. It's about his speed that kills those right tackles. It's, it's nothing else. And he just, he's able to get off the staff extremely quick and get past them. Yeah. I didn't even have that written down, but you actually said word for word what I was about to say. about You know what? The Bills at this point, they were the team that matched up best against our offensive line. 
unless we end up playing, you know, the Niners in the Super Bowl. And that's a problem that we would love to have. Yeah, well, well, if that happens, it'll be a fun conversation to have. So I'm not really too worried about it. Um, but also a lot of things that, you know, what I've realized, at least in this game, was uh, Bill O'Brien wasn't putting Darren Fells on the right side a lot for for, for blocking purposes. So because Fells needed, was needed in this game as a passing tight end with Aikens being out. So they had to really offset Aikens being out. And there was just a lot of different matchup problems that we ran into against this team that we will not run into again the rest of the playoffs. And that so was, it, it kind of is what it is. That was something that I was actually kind of sort of thinking about. That was one of the advantages of having Fuller out there is how we're able to run two-man routes with Fuller that they don't run with Stills. That was something else right. that I picked up on this game. One of the bread and butter plays of our offense is literally just a two-man crossing route with Max Protect. Yep. And Bill O'Brien would use that almost like as a fallback, get Deshaun and rhythm play. Yep. And we don't do that when Fuller is not out there. And I don't know if that's just trust in stills. I don't know exactly what the reason for it is, but – they only run that play when they have both Hop and Fuller. And, I mean, obviously Fuller is Fuller is a better receiver than Stills, but that's, Stills is still a damn good receiver. So I, I don't get it, but, yeah, that, that happens. Yeah, um, I agree 100%. Um, just a lot of those touchdowns for Fuller or Hop ended up being those exact, those exact crossing pad yeah. uh, routes. And I would say just to put kind of like a, a bow on Deshaun before we move on to the next topic, is Deshaun, when he just gets going and just starts playing, he actually is the quarterback that everybody hypes him out to be. It's when he's trying to create the hype, when it gets in his head, that's when it, it looks like he just starts to freeze. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, all right, so let's get to some of the good that he did have, though. I mean, that fourth, that, that end of the third quarter, fourth quarter in overtime, um, <clears throat> Like, for everybody that gives me shit for being so hard on Deshaun, what we saw in that time period is what my expectation is of seeing from him at all times. And we'll get there. We'll get there. But, like, when you can do that against that defense, there should never be an expectation that we don't see that regularly. And I think that's probably the frustration with most fans with this team is the fact that the inconsistencies that happen with whether it be Deshaun or Bill O'Brien or Tim Kelly – they're, they're just – they happen so frequently. And you just – you really can't expect greatness from them because they don't show it on a regular basis. Um, I would say – I would agree that's the part that's most maddeningly frustrating. The Bills throw a defense out there that, again, will quite potentially be the toughest one that we play for the rest of the playoffs. And Deshaun absolutely shreds them for a quarter. Just makes it look like they're playing flag football. Right. Exactly. Like, that's the frustrating part. And, and what I'm hoping is we don't run into that same frustrations against these mediocre defenses. The best defense left in the playoffs is the Baltimore Ravens. Not from a stats perspective, not from – honestly, I don't know from a stats perspective. Just from what we've seen from them this year after week five, their defense is better than the Kansas City Chiefs and it's better than the Tennessee Titans. But we don't have to worry about that until we get past this week. And we may not even have to worry about it then. So anything can happen. But uh, if he's able to do that against the Buffalo Bills, 
I, I, there's no reason for me to think he cannot do that against Kansas City next week. Oh, definitely. Uh, let's get to some of the good. Um, one of the so one of the big things uh, everybody's like talking about their five takeaways, their five plays that were so remarkable. Uh, they claim to have watched the game again, and yet they seem to have missed quite a bit of plays. Um, the fourth quarter mark, the 550, uh, at 550, Deshaun makes this, I mean, absolutely beautiful throw to Phils on the goal line. Uh, really, honestly, the only person that could have gotten that ball was Darren Phils, and he basically just boxed out the linebacker, like in basketball. <laughs> it was a beautiful throw, straight to Phils' hands. Um, and then I also think just the fact that, like, two-point conversions aren't give me. <laughs> and then when your offense has struggled for three quarters against this defense, and yet they convert, they go two for two on two-point conversions. I think the like that's, a, that's the huge. Percentage for converting on two-point conversions is something like 40%. Okay, so there you go. And I think, I think what, it's like 92 for an extra point, right, or something like that? Yeah, it's so. There's a reason why more coaches kick than go for two. Um, part of the part of the uh, like theory behind them pushing back the uh, the extra point kick was more coaches would go for two because everybody agrees that it's a more exciting play. But it's still the odds are in your favor to kick more often than to go for it, and to go two for two on two point conversions against that defense, that that's something to be proud of. When your offense did nothing prior to the fourth, the third quarter. I mean, it really says a lot. Um, all right, we'll get to more Deshaun talk as we get through the rest of the good uh, and bad about this this offense. Really, honestly, I think, uh, to be honest with you, John, I don't know if there's much more bad to talk about on the offense. Like, uh, really, this offense goes as far as Deshaun will take them. And if Deshaun's playing bad and having negative plays, there's really nothing else the receivers, running backs can really do or tight ends can do. They they need the ball thrown to them to be able to make a play. And Deshaun was just off the mark in the first half. There's, there's really nothing else. I don't think there's a lot of bad to talk about yeah, outside of Deshaun. Unfortunately, that's kind of the nature of our offense. We have a bunch of really talented skill players. And other than Darren Fells dropping an easy pass and Carlos Hyde dropping a toss, there's not many times where it's the skill player that's letting Deshaun down, which, again, kind of adds towards our our frustration. (laughs) When Deshaun's going, he's got the supporting staff. I mean, he's just, or the supporting cast. When he's going, we're rolling, but when he's not going, Carlos Hyde is not good enough to cover the offense, or to carry the offense. I mean, well, he has against lesser lesser opponents, but against playoff teams, no, Carlos Hyde is not going to win us a game. He might next week, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, all right, so the run game, more, more really the running backs. Duke Johnson, three carries, 38 yards. All of them were crucial plays. Three receptions for 30 yards. Biggest one in the fourth quarter with that 18-yard reception to get the first down. Um, only good things happen when Duke touches the ball. I mean, we, we've talked about it time and time again, time and time again. We talked about, like, the acquisitions of Conley and Hargraves 
and the additions of Roby and Tunsil. And yet we always come back to Duke Johnson every week and how important he is to this offense and why he plays such an intricate role on this offense. And it's because he is so dynamic with the ball in his hands. He's, he's just dynamic. Duke Johnson is averaging like 9.9 yards per touch. I think he averaged 12.3 yesterday on just run, run plays. Give him the ball. Just give him the ball until that average goes down. That's all. I mean, it's crazy. Why was why was Duke not in on that toss play on the goal line? I really don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things that part of me, the argument could be the reason Duke Johnson's um, yards per touch is so high is they put him in at the right time to actually take advantage of his skill set. However, the other part of me is just like, just give him the ball more. Just end of discussion. Just give him the ball more. The toss play to Carlos Hyde, Duke Johnson easily has a touchdown. The pass play to Carlos Hyde, Duke Johnson does the same thing that Carlos does. I mean, I don't understand it. I really don't. Yeah, no, I don't either. Um, but good things happen when Duke touches the ball, and those things need to continue. Uh, Duke also made other impacts on this game. Uh, his blocking just huge. He took on two defenders for Deshaun to score on the two-point conversion. And and it, and it was like the most, un, most unorthodox blocking that you could have ever seen in your life. He basically is blocking a wide receiver, pushes off of the wide receiver to fall back to push a linebacker off of Deshaun so Deshaun can get to the end zone. That is a heads-up play that you will you don't see. It was more, incredible. Just more reason for him to be on the field more. He does the little things, too. This isn't a guy just, that's just touching the ball and making plays. He's making plays off the ball. He's a gamer. He's a dog. If we ever get a chance to talk to Bill O'Brien again, I think that would be the first question out of my mouth. I know we wouldn't get a straight answer, but at least I could feel better knowing that I asked it. Why don't you let Duke play more? Can you please let Duke play more? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting how he's used. Um, all right, Carlos Hyde, 16 carries for 48 yards, one reception for five yards of TD, and that was after, uh, you know, and Carlos Hyde even talked about it. You know, the toss play for the touchdown that, or should have been for a touchdown that he dropped, and then Deshaun going right back to him on that following play uh, really says a lot about Carlos Hyde and the trust that they have in him in this offense, and Deshaun has in him as well. Um, you know, I can't say how many times we've seen where players make mistakes and this, this offense or this team will not go back to that player again. And uh, that wasn't the case on Saturday. So, you know, kudos to him. Carlos didn't have the greatest game, but he ran hard. He, he ran extremely hard when he was running the ball. And when it was a one-yard gain, it ended up being two to three yards each time. Um, and that's, that, was, that was a big part of this offense. Yeah, I mean, what, uh, else can, what else can you say about Carlos Hyde? Even when his stats aren't eye-popping, he's just he's a necessary cog in the offense. And oh, and, and then pass, pass protection. Pass he's, protection, yep. And he was the player that we needed Lamar Miller to be all these years. Yeah, fair. Uh, all right, let's talk about the other running back, 
the running back that needs to get some love. He needs some love. He needs some nurturing. He needs some massaging. He needs some kisses sent his way. Taiwan motherfucking Jones. Wow. Um, I mean, that play in itself, just wow, right? Like, I've said it multiple times this year. The magic isn't there when Deshaun is escaping, right? We it, it hasn't been. I mean, there's just been plays where he'll escape and nothing happens. This play, though, this is one of those plays that will forever be remembered by the franchise, by fan base. It's in, just an incredible play, a great heads-up play from Deshaun Watson, just being able to, like he said, like, I knew I wasn't going down. Like, I want to know who his yoga instructor is um, and who works on his ba- his core balance because Deshaun is incredible when it comes to being able to stay up. It, I mean, truly incredible. But then when you, act, when you see that play, after he gets hit by two defenders on the same, like on opposite sides, he then scrambles out and is chased by two other defenders and is still keeping his eyes downfield and able to put a spot on the Taiwan Jones who lets that track speed just go and gets us to the nine-yard line and ends the game. Incredible play. Yes. Um, yes. First and foremost about Taiwan Jones, first off, we do owe him an apology. Uh, we said it a couple times, but I'll say it again. We both thought that he was going to get cut. We both questioned why he was being put on the roster, um, especially when he was inactive for most of the season. And, and now we get it. And then secondly, this is one of those things that kind of starts to give you hope because these are guys that are no-name players making plays. Previously, as a Texans fan, in the playoffs, have we ever had no-name players really start making plays? It's always no. been, we're going to do what our stars do. And for the past 10 years, we've really not been, we've really actually been blessed as a team, as a franchise. We've had a lot of stars. We have not had a lot of role players. We haven't had those unsung heroes that come out of nowhere. And we got one. Yeah. Yeah, we got one, and we got one when, it, when we needed it the most. Um, just an amazing play um, from Taiwan Jones. All right, let's get to our fullback, uh, Colin Gillespie. Um, I mentioned it last week that could this be the week that we see fullback? You instantly dismissed it. And, yes, Aikens being out definitely played a part in this, but Colin Gillespie made some key, key, key blocks in this game. Um I mean, clear the way, basically, for Deshaun's TD. Uh, just, like I said, he didn't he didn't dominate the game. He didn't play a ton of snaps, but when he played, he made it count. I mean, he made eight, he played eight snaps, cleared the way for Deshaun. Looked good. Um, kind of took the role that Aikens typically has. And, yeah, I was wrong. I didn't think he was going to play. I absolutely will admit it. I was wrong. I thought that maybe... Um, Jordan Thomas would have gotten those snaps, or they would have tried to figure something out, but no. Colin Gillespie went out there, played that kind of 
not kind of sort of a move tight end. Um, what position am I thinking about right now? Um, that hybrid tight end halfback. Right. There's there's an actual position that they call that. That why can't I think of the name of it right now? I feel really dumb. Anyways, but he he's more he. If you put him and Aikens kind of like on a scale, Aikens leans more towards the tight end than the full fullback responsibilities, whereas Gillespie leans more towards a fullback than the tight end responsibilities. But he just went out there and he absolutely did what he needed to for the eight snaps that he was out there. Yeah, um, and it couldn't have happened at a better time. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they use him moving forward too. Once Aikens is back next week, if if they'll start to do kind of what they do in San Francisco, maybe a little wrinkles here and there with Juszczyk, um against the Chiefs or maybe against the Ravens because uh, he can catch. So, um, All right, let's get to the wide receivers. Obviously, DeAndre had a great game. But we, we know that. We'll get to that. What I wanted to get to, and, and the reason why this is the first topic when it comes to wide receivers H-back. is – H-back. That's the word I was looking for, H-back responsibilities. Okay. Which isn't that just halfback? Um, it's not a halfback. Yeah. Um, they're two different positions. It's just, but the same players typically play them. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about Kenny Stills for a second, and the reason why I want to talk about him over Deshaun right now is, or DeAndre, um, is because the one thing that I realized this game which made me feel a lot better was there was chemistry between Deshaun and Kenny and it, it was early. Yes. And then it carried on in the third and fourth as well with, uh, there was a crucial third down conversion. I think it was third and eight, I believe in the fourth quarter, Kenny Stills crossing route. Boom. Um, the reason why I want to bring that up is because, we don't know what we have with Will Fuller. We just don't. I think he'll play Sunday. Uh, he was out on the field, running routes, catching the ball um, from from Sean uh, prior to the game. I, I'm assuming we'll see him. But the reason why this is such a big thing is because I think that that's a, a lot of the inconsistencies with the offense. And obviously with Lance coming out this last week and talking about how Kenny hasn't practiced a lot, and that that's hurt the chemistry with Deshaun um, on the move, the sixth podcast with Bucky Brooks. I think it was very telling to see that Deshaun went to Kenny early and went to him when he needed to. Um, he didn't kill it with yards, but I think he ended up having like six or seven receptions. Actually, let me pull it up because I have right. oh, four receptions, four for 46. Um but he went to him early, and the reason why I say that is because if Will Fuller doesn't play, I, I'm not too much. I'm not too concerned moving forward that there's going to be an issue with Kenny Stills taking the Will Fuller role. Now he's not going to do what Will Fuller does, but if Sean will at least target him and throw to him, um, that is enough for me to feel confident in this offense. No, I absolutely agree. Kenny Stills is not the player Will Fuller is, but again, we've said it a million times, he's pretty damn close. And if Deshaun can build that relationship and build that trust in him, then we feel better. Now, 
if Will Fuller's out there and able to contribute against the Chiefs, yeah, that's going to be game-changing. However, if he's not, but they can trust still just a little bit more, we should still be okay. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it really what it is is just imp- when when Bill O'Brien is Bill or when Tim Kelly's building the game plan and then Bill O'Brien comes and changes it Friday night with an eraser and adds a couple plays uh, Friday night, two days before the game. Um, <laughs> yeah, can we talk about that for a second before we get into I've got it coaching. Okay, you do? Yeah, it's towards okay. the end of the uh, the thing. Okay. But if you, want, if you want to jump around, we can jump around. I don't care. <laughs> well, here's what I wanted to talk about with this is, well, yes, I think Lance has a point that when that happens, I'm sure it doesn't necessarily help the offense. What I think a key piece that he's leaving out is, and this happens at every job, by the way, <laughs> you put something together, you turn it in, your boss overlooks it, they make the changes, they send it back to you, you say, hey, saw a couple things here, here's the updates. Are you good with it? Okay, great. Moving forward. Now, typically when that happens, it's not drastic changes. It's not, hey, here's a new play that we have not ran before. Uh, let's install this here. It's, hey, against a very similar defense in week three, we ran this play. I, I want to take that and put this here. So I think what a lot of people started to jump to when they heard about this from Lance Erline was they were thinking that just new things from the offense were added last minute. And that's not the case. It's just that other parts of the offense were changed for that game plan, but they were things that they have done in the past. Bill O'Brien's not going in and erasing the game plan on Friday and adding a whole new game plan and saying, all right, figure it out between now and Sunday at 12. That's just not the way it works. So that's it. That's all I wanted to say. Fair enough. Do you agree? I don't disagree. It's adjustments. I don't know what the adjustments are. That's what Lance said. Now, the uh, the comment about still, or I'm sorry, Fuller and Hopkins being hurt all season, I mean, it's been Fuller that's been held out of practice and hurt all season. Hopkins has been out a couple of times because of, like, illness, and I think there was one week where I think that was more of a veteran rest than him actually being hurt. And you know what? We're going to kind of talk about it here a little bit as we start to talk about Hopkins. I think part of this season, they would get a little bit too cute and go away from Hop instead of forcing it there, where you got to remember that I'd argue that Hopkins was the best player on the field last night. And sometimes it doesn't matter what the other team game plans. You let the best player go out there and be the best player. Yeah. And that has nothing yeah. to do with him missing practices or anything like that. I just think it's part of the way that they've kind of schemed and, again, just trying to get too cute. And I've talked about it before where the central tenant of Bill O'Brien's offense is sometimes he just tries to attack the other team's weaknesses where proof that he doesn't always play to his own strengths is that Hop hasn't been focused as much as he has in the past. Granted, we also got spoiled where Hop had three seasons in a row where he had the largest target share ever by a receiver. However, I'll even put one more however on that. I know it's annoying. However, part of the reason he's had those largest target shares ever as a receiver is he's just really, really good. I mean, he's just really good. They're not just force-feeding him the ball. He's good. And sometimes when you need to make plays, 
let your best player make the damn play. However, this year he also has <laughs> nine different options for Deshaun to throw the ball to that he has not had in the past. You know, outside of D-Hop last year and the year before, you know, you couldn't count on Fuller being there. So outside of that, like, where were you going to? And now he's got Duke, he's got Akins, he's got Fells, he's got Stills, he's got Carlos Hyde. There's just so many different option, weapons on this team now that, yes, you're right, 100%. They have to go to D-Hop. And when the offense goes through D-Hop, good things happen. And we saw those things yesterday. But when those aren't working, Deshaun's just got so many other weapons to throw to that he hasn't had in the past that – it's like, and and also, however, um, DeAndre doesn't need to practice. <laughs> like, like when I heard that part for at first, when I heard DeAndre Hopkins isn't playing or isn't practicing, and it's hard for Deshaun to get chemistry with DeAndre. Uh, you know, okay, well, what about last year when DeAndre had fifteen hundred yards? Or how about every play? that they run and the ball goes to DeAndre, it's they're never out of sync. It is never a overthrow or a miscommunication on a route. It's either a low ball or just it's defended well. It's never anything else. So I really don't understand the DeAndre. defended well right. in quotation marks because usually when he's defended well, his pads are popping out of his jersey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean – here, let's kind of. I mean, we're already start, we're already talk, talking about Hop, but you are absolutely right. We do have way more options on our offense now. However, we're going to keep saying that, aren't we? I say start with Hop. Just start with him. Let Deshaun be his front runner. Get his routine. Force it to Hop until that starts to make things happen, and that just opens it up for everybody else. And. I understand the game plan at the beginning. They put him in the slot. They're trying to keep him away from Shadavius White. And then at some point, they finally remembered that if you play Hop one-on-one, he's going to dominate the corner. He did it. He's done it to Jalen Ramsey, who's a way more physical than, than White. So it was just one of those where, I don't know, they get they just get too cute sometimes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So DeAndre Hopkins, um, <clears throat> man, wow. Just, just wow. Um, that is um, that was that was the most dominating performance I've seen from a wide receiver in a twenty-minute span. I think I've ever seen. I, I, I mean, it was incredible, and like the stats aren't going to pop out, but when you just when you watch the plays and the routes and the separation he was getting, and I mean it was incredible what he was able to do. Yeah, that fumble pissed him off. Well, and Andre talked to him about it. Yeah, well, after that, he was he just went beast mode. I mean. He played at a level. Uh, what? 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 A, shoot! He went Super Saiyan out there. There was no stopping him. Yeah, it was. Um, it was intense. It was intense. So I think what previously in the first 
in the first half, I think DeAndre lined up in the slot, what was it, 59% of the time? 75% of the time. 75% of the time, and then, oh, it was 59% that he lined up outside in the second half, correct? Correct. Um, yeah, he started off the game 75% in the slot. He was, the first two passes to him were incomplete. The third pass was punched out for a fumble. And then, and then he went nuts. Yeah, I I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was him. I don't know if it was him with Deshaun. I don't know if it was Bill O'Brien, Tim Kelly, whoever it was that decided to say, hey, go ahead and just go feast, do what you do. Um, he killed it. He, I mean, he was, he was just amazing yesterday. Um, he said that he was the best player on the field. I, I, I think it's hard to argue that he wasn't. Um, if I had to throw a player out there, uh, I, I would have to say Duke Johnson is at least in the conversation. Just if you just take into consideration everything he did yesterday, um, from blocking to running to catching, uh, there was just there were moments in that game where Duke was doing things that were just incredible. I would say that Duke Johnson was probably the MVP of the, the game, but at this point in their career, coming in, Hop is... 1A or 1B receiver in the NFL. It's him and Michael Thomas. That's the only two that are in discussion on who's the best out there. And it was one of those where you just, my point was the Texans just kind of have to sometimes remember how good Hop is. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. That's fair. Um... You think they were picking on Kevin Johnson or something? I mean, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Hey, you played healthy all year? That's cool. Can you can you cover though? <laughs> can you cover though? Um <laughs> It's like they threw at him six times. The first time was when he um tried to rip Hop's jersey off and OB challenged that pass interference. And then the other five times we went five for fifty one. Yeah. Um, all so right. Thank you for uh, being healthy. Yeah, thank you for being healthy. I'm glad you got your hammy all taken care of. That's great. Um, you might want to go check it again, see if there's burn marks, because uh, there might be. A uh, little rogue rash. I'm, I'm not sure, but there's something there, because you got destroyed yesterday by our offense. So, uh, All right, tight ends. Not a lot to talk about here. Uh, obviously, with Aikens being out, that was really um, – if, if I could say that – there was a reason why this offense really started slow. I think missing Aikens hurt Deshaun quite a bit. Um, you know, a lot of the dump-offs, a lot of the little four- or five-yard uh, routes that were being ran in the regular season, a lot of those were going to Aikens and Fells and Duke. I think when you take Aikens out, um, you know, you're, you're just taking away another target that Deshaun feels comfortable with. But with that being said, Fells did have a very good game. And when I say good game, it's, again, not eye-popping, but Three crucial catches for three first downs, and all of them were in key moments. No, definitely. Uh, Fells also had the one drop. Again, one drop. One drop from him and one drop from Carlos Hyde. Those were pretty much the only two negative plays by a non-quarterback out there on the Texans. And you know what? That's okay. 
it's okay for receivers to drop the ball every now and then. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, all right. So that's really it on the offense. Um, let's let's get to the defense. I, I know you're probably going to want to start with. Um, well, I guess I'll just go in order. So, I mean, you say our defense played really well for the most part. I I, I would I would agree that they played pretty well. Um, they definitely had some moments where it was like, really, really, but like, and then again, really, that's that's the third and long. You're you're gonna give that up, like that third and twelve or whatever it was to Devin Singletary with Josh Allen running out of bounds, and he just rocket sidearms it, and it's just a beautiful throw, and you're just like, that's what you gave up, like that that's it. Uh, and then obviously with the trick plays and things like that, but I, I would agree. I think for for the most part they played a good game um, against it. You know the 23rd ranked offense. Uh, you know, anytime you hold a team under 20, you tend to win those games. Yeah, I mean Brian Anger might have been the MVP of the game for consistently giving us um, a long field to work with. But honestly, there was a couple of there was a couple of plays by Allen where he just ran forever. There was a couple of very annoying um, checkdowns where he somehow escapes, gives it to Singletary, and then nobody can tackle him. And there was a lot of times where I swear we were all yelling at the TV to just tackle him. But all things considering, one touchdown on a play that that even though it was a trick play. John Brown, that that pass to Josh Allen has to be one of the ugliest passes to ever be ever result in a touchdown. And that honestly was inexcusable. I don't understand. We talked about it before. Josh Allen, if he was black, they would be talk about him playing tight end or wide receiver. He is that much of an athlete, and you see him streaking down, acting like he's trying to be Gronk, and nobody covered him. That. That is absolutely inexcusable. That's truly the only time where I was absolutely pissed off at the team. There, I mean, sometimes offensive players just make plays, and then we made enough plays on defense to kind of balance that out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the trick play, which was, like, just the ugliest throw I've ever seen anybody throw in an NFL game. Um that should not have been completed, but whatever. Um, it was like watching I mean, slow-mo. Oh, my God, it was awful. I mean, it was awful. I, I, I kept thinking somebody is going to snatch that. Right. Like, you have to. But there was nobody at all by Josh Allen. So um, I would agree they did keep us in the game while our offense was just non-existent. Um Key takeaways for this game for me on the defensive side before we get to Captain America, uh, because, yes, he deserves any and all praise that he will get, and he will get a lot of it this episode. But because of that, uh, and that was also expected, I think, coming into this game, <clears throat> I want to talk about the secondary. Uh, and the reason why I want to talk about the secondary is because when we ended the season, the biggest weakness on this team was not the offensive line, it was the secondary. We had old corners and one, two new corners to a system. Um, obviously, the addition of Bradley Roby, we've seen just throughout the entire season when he's played, has just been remarkable. Um, 
I can't think of one play all year where he has gotten dusted. He's either been right there or he hasn't allowed a completion. Uh, he's been very, very good for this team. Now you just add in Gary and Conley, who, in my opinion, while, yes, the, the J.J. Sacks, sack was huge and the pressure on, on Josh Allen were huge, Gary and Conley literally stopped two touchdowns from happening, both of them. If, if he is not there and those go for seven, this game is completely different than what it was prior to that. Um, I forgot the time of when the first breakup happened. I think it was in the second quarter. So I think at that time it would have been, I think we would have went into the half down 17 to zero instead of 13 to zero. And then again in the third quarter on a fade route to Doug Williams, who I'm not sure who he is. I'm not familiar with him at all. He didn't come up in on, on the bills podcast that I did. I'm that guy looks like a player. Yeah, no uh, joke. Where on earth did he come from? Yeah, he looks like a true wide receiver. And uh, Josh Allen threw that ball absolutely perfect on that fade. And Gary Conley knocked it right out of his hands. Um, those two plays are the big plays for me. Um, and that the only reason is because they both were going – They if, if he wasn't there, you would have added 14 points to what they already had. So while the J.J. Watt stack got everybody energized and got energy up on their feet, and it was a huge play, and we needed it, um, those plays by Gary Conley I thought were just so big and should not be overlooked in my opinion. No, definitely. Part of the reason why J.J. is going to get all the credit is part of it is because he's J.J. He is going to go down as one of the best defensive players. He's also one of the most marketable players. He's been just the face of the franchise. He is our first, no doubt, Hall of Fame player. Andre Johnson should be a Hall of Famer, but there's going to be an argument for him. There is no argument when J.J. decides to retire. He could decide to retire tonight, and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. However, J.J. completely changes our defense. He does. Everybody talking all this shit before the game about how bad our defense was. Completely forgot that J.J. was coming back. And they started ramping up his snaps after the – about halfway through the second quarter. And that's when our defense started to really start take to, taking shape, rolling into form. And we were a – there's so many little plays that – he made a huge impact on everything from causing um, Allen to have to throw it away, throw it in the dirt on two separate plays. He set up the sack by causing Allen to have to do a rush throw to miss a wide open guy in the end zone and then gets the sack, which of course lights the place up. He allowed other players on our defensive line to suddenly get pressure again. And when J.J. Watt is on the field, granted it was also the same for Clowney, but when Merciless isn't the guy, Merciless levels up. Merciless may be the best sidekick in all of football. He cannot be the guy. He cannot be our primary pass rusher. If he's the only one that's healthy, we kind of saw what happened. We don't have a pass rush for eight games. You put somebody else out there, 
all of a sudden merciless looks like an all pro player. Like he just he levels up. Put him against somebody. He put merciless on single um, with uh, one blocker. Especially if that guy is a tight end, he's gonna he's gonna run him rabbit, ragged all day. And then I'm gonna kind of skip over this in our notes, but Jacob Martin. Plus JJ and Merciless playing like that, all of a sudden, dude. Yeah. This is not this is not the offense that we've had, or the, not the defense that we've had at any point this season. Our defense looks better now than it did halfway through the season. It looks better now than it did at the start of the season. This is from, of course, getting all the adding Conley to the secondary, adding Hardgraves to the even though we can kind of talk about him about the bad. But adding these players to the secondary, Martin getting more and more trust from from the coaching staff, and just JJ being back. Yeah, I think the one thing I want to do is kind of pump the brakes on this defense just a little bit. And here's the reason why. One, we played the Bills, whose offense is not – it's not a high-octane offense. And I, what I don't want to do is come in and tell you guys that the defense is fixed and you guys have nothing to worry about. Because in Kansas City, this defense may not look, or it likely will not look how it looked against the Bills on Saturday. No, no, but what I, no, 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 that's what, a definitely a fair point. Right, right, right. And I know that you weren't saying that. I just wanted to make sure that I don't want us to get a tweet after Sunday and be like, I thought you guys said the defense was back, and it's it's 42 points hung up on our defense. No, what, no, no, what, no. I will not say that it's back. No, it's not. It's not. But what we need to realize is the pieces are in place for a good defense to be there, and that's what John's point is. Jacob Martin with J.J., with Whitney, with D.J. Reader, and with Charles Menehue is what is going to be the cornerstone for this defense moving forward. Right, and you add in Conley, you add in Roby, you add in Hargraves. Now, yes, Hargraves had some problems tackling yesterday, but add those to this, and all of a sudden, this defense that is, you know, well, I think it ranked like 25th, somewhere in that area. This 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 defense is at least 16, 17, and that's enough to win in the playoffs. Right, this defense takes a level up. We're a lot harder to pass on. And more importantly, we go from a bend-but-don't-break defense to a, I would call a big play defense. Now all of a sudden we can generate big plays, big sacks, big turnovers, and not have to rely on this bend-but-don't-break philosophy that always seems to break. Yeah. Um So anyways, yeah, just to put that into perspective. Uh, but yes, JJ, uh, the sack was amazing. Um, I think another play that people tend to be leaving out of this entire game, some strange reason, is a key third down play. JJ gets Josh Allen, forces him to throw in the dirt, Buffalo punts. That was after our initial touchdown or our first touchdown. So, again, after having the sack that forces them to kick a field goal, JJ again gets pressure on Josh Allen and forces him to throw in the dirt and force another punt. Um, if JJ doesn't do that, who knows what happens? So, uh, yeah, JJ being back is just amazing. I mean, it really is. JJ, 
JJ changes everything for us. And it, what's what's crazy about this is this. God, I really don't want to sound like a fan, like too much of a fan, but just embrace it. I talk, just embrace I it. Talk, I talked about it at the beginning of the show. You need things to go right in the playoffs for you to be able to make a run. Okay. One of those things happened Saturday, right? This is one. If this was the old Texans and things weren't going to go the way they were, they're going right now, JJ Watt would have re-injured himself. JJ Watt would not have been able to play the whole game. But that wasn't the case. JJ Watt was the difference maker. You add that. You add the offense. You you just put all that together. Coming back from a 16 point deficit to be able to advance to the divisional round. These are the types of storylines that champions are made of. And I just think it's pretty crazy when you think about everything that's clicking and starting to go and put beep and mesh the way that you need them to. As a fan, it's fucking exciting. No, it's, it's amazing. And it's a great – it's such a better feeling to win a game, <laughs> to win a playoff game and not get embarrassed. And, dude, that was fun. And our defense was actually a very important part of that. And now you're starting to see the type of potential that they have. And here's the thing. We got a, a two, two players that we kind of briefly discussed. First off, Jacob Martin, he needs to play more. He ended up playing – 31 snaps, which was his second highest snap total of the season. With that, he got two QB hits and a a sack. Over his last four games, the kid has 4.5 sacks. Who cares if if he's a suspect run defender? Who cares if he's going to get blown off the ball on if they run a draw play or whatnot? Let him be out there on every single passing down. Well, John, let me resort to you. I want to ask you this because you're more of a scheme guy than I am. Um, would the the liability on run defense, if he played on JJ's side, be somewhat negated with JJ being there? Absolutely. Um, however, okay, so however, the big caveat on that is he doesn't pair well with JJ on run defense because JJ has never been very scheme disciplined. If J.J. plays more disciplined than he ever has before, then it wouldn't. It, then he could more than make up for Martin being out there. But that would take J.J. not being hyper-aggressive on running plays. Well, so the reason why I brought that up was because from a starting perspective, right, um, you know, it's Scarlett Whitney opposite of each other on the outside – and Scarlett is, is more disciplined and is able to kind of stay – stay. He'll, he'll honor the run, right? He'll stay on the outside, keep everybody in. Um, but with J.J., the way he lines up – and uh, I don't know if anybody else has noticed this. I'm sure somebody has. But he really – he lines out wide. He tends to line out wider than most when you look at the four, the, the four man down. When you look at the other three, they're all extremely tight and closer to the left, but J.J. tends to line up a little bit wider. And with Martin, I almost wonder if that would help Martin's run defense because if J.J. is going and taking his tackle outside, 
that opens the hole. But if Martin is plugging that hole while also rushing the quarterback, I feel like that run liability wouldn't be as big of a scare as it is without JJ there. Well, the reason that JJ could possibly negate it is he usually takes up two blockers. With Martin, he's just easy to push off. One, I, I just actually watched it on a short play. When they engage him as a run blocker instead of as a pass blocker, he's just too light. It just comes down to a big guy is able to push a small guy. That's really all it comes down to. And, again, have J.J. out there. He eats up two blockers. Then Martin's a little bit more free, and you don't really have to worry about that. But at this point, if there's even a chance of them throwing the ball, I think that it, our defense is better with Martin on the field. Now, I agree. If it's a heavy set, I think that there's other ways around it. Um, going all heavy on with three down line linemen, um, but at that point, you're potentially pulling. You're I don't I know that there's ways to make it work, but it would be non-traditional uh, lineups from what we've used. So, like, when I'm thinking about this Chiefs game, and now we're really running down a rabbit hole, <laughs> there's more to get to, but I don't know if there's too much more as far as this game. But um, the only team that scares me that I wouldn't want Jacob Martin as our starting outside linebacker opposite of Whitney is the Ravens. I'm okay with him against the Chiefs. The only reason the Ravens is because they're such a run-heavy team that I think he could get burned more than he could help. Fair enough. To me, it'll be interesting, especially this offseason, if they can find, if Martin could always find the tight end and line up against him, that could be interesting. But I don't know if Martin can cover at all or that wouldn't be an absolute tell. Because if he yeah, if he gets to take on a tight end during a running play, then it's not really an issue because they're similar size. It's when he has to take on a guard or a tackle on a running on a running play where they can essentially just throw him down with one arm. Yeah. Um, all right. Enough. Enough. Jacob Martin talk. Uh, okay. Zach Cunningham, my favorite player. I need a Zach Cunningham jersey. I want one. I freaking love Zach Cunningham. I think he might literally be my favorite player on the team. Well, you are completely invested in him. You bought in on him this offseason. You said it even before training camp. You said this is going to be your breakout player of the year. And you were right. Led the league in tackles. And these aren't cheap tackles. He's out there earning it. And he's one of those guys that should get more credit for saving the game. He's not... The those QB sweeps that they had ran the entire first half that were just absolutely murdering us, they finally brought it back around after forgetting about it in the fourth quarter, and they brought it back in overtime. And Cunningham instantly reacted, got skinny, got through three blockers without them even touching him to light up Allen. That should actually be up there for one of the plays of the game. I agree 100%. I, I I love Zach Cunningham. I love everything he brings to this defense. Watching him evolve this season has just probably been uh, – it's been so fun. And, yeah, that not only, like, yes, the play itself of, of stopping Josh Allen, but the hit 
that he laid on Josh Allen. I mean, he had full speed. He literally went in between two blockers to get to Josh Allen. Neither one of them was able to stop his momentum, and then he just laid the wood on Josh Allen. And Josh Allen is not a small quarterback. Um, yeah, I thought that was just a hell of a play. I really love that kind of game. All right, let's get to the coaching. Uh, I'll let you get into this because this is something you typed up. I don't want to. I don't want to steal your mojo. No, I just kind of wonder if part of the issue Bill O'Brien has with challenges because he's so bad at them, if he lets the players influence him on it. So it honestly looked like Hop talked him into doing that challenge on the pass interference. We all know, and I mean it's a legitimate. It was a legitimate gripe, but we all know all year we've known that I think. One play has been overturned. That might be two at this point. But they're not going to overturn a pass interference. They're just not. Even though they made the rule, they forgot that they made the rule. It's there to just pacify the Saints fan base, who also got screwed again today. They're not going to overturn it. I thought that Bill O'Brien supposedly hired somebody to help him with when to challenge. And if he did hire somebody... That should be the thing in his ear. It's like, hey, go tell Hop, I agree with you. We should challenge, but we're not going to waste it because it's too early in the game. Uh, my only my only thing is, is in that spot in this game, um, while, yes, history tells you it's not going to be overturned, um, if you can, if you can get that and you continue the drive after them going down on your defense and scoring seven on the first drive, I think, I, I, yes, it's not going to be overturned, but I also think it's worth kind of that Hail Mary approach. Just because if it is, if there was enough emphasis on it going into the playoffs that, hey, there's been too much talk around national media about this not being an emphasis from the referees and from the league office, we need to make sure that we tighten this up, then maybe it's worth it, you know, because there, that was a lot of the talking points on all of the on ESPN Fox was why is this here if we're not going to do it? And while yes, that timeout could have came in handy, I feel like that losing that timeout was worth it in my opinion. Fair enough. And I guess the the next thing up is the going forward on fourth down because we've had the reason I put this in the podcast is I'm sure it's going to get talked about a lot. We had a very heated discussion at at the bar about it. I still think it was the right call. I think it was the wrong play, but I think it was the right call. We have criticized Bill O'Brien, even on this podcast, very, very harshly for not trusting Deshaun Watson when the game was on the line. So from just that standpoint alone, even if it was a long one yard, even if he now thinks, even if I honestly, if it's Madden, I probably go for the field goal. But because of him showing faith and Deshaun to get it done and to finish the game, I think it was the right call. I think it was a horrible play call, but I think it was the right call to go for it. Uh, so in the moment yesterday, I was thinking, I, I believe that um, I believe that kicking the field goal while it would not have ended the game, it would have given them a further 
to drive, and it would have made them have to score a touchdown, which would have made me feel a lot more confident on defense. Looking back on it, I think it's the right decision, but the play call I just didn't like. It was a very long yard. It wasn't it wasn't inches. It, it was a solid yard, maybe a little bit more. I also just think that with the fact that we just don't run a lot of QB sneaks with Deshaun, I would have liked to have seen something else for us to be able to just kind of put a nail in the coffin and, and, and end the game. Fair enough. I don't. It's one of those things that I'm grateful we won so we don't have to spend all offseason talking about it. Hopefully this will be just like a two-minute thing on our podcast. We'll probably hear about it some this week, and then it'll be over and done and completely forgotten about as of next week. Yeah. Um, the next thing is, will the false starts ever go away? Yeah, that's that's really... That's really the... Uh, I mean, that's the question, and... I'd say yes once Tunsil actually gets an offseason with the team. Yeah, you know, you got to think about just he's used to a certain cadence. He's used to a certain center. Um, he's used to a certain scheme. Um, you know, he's getting adjusted this year. Yeah, you know, I just hope that it doesn't creep up and happen at the wrong time for us. Yeah, definitely. And then, all right, this one was interesting that I saw on Twitter. So the very – the very last play, the um, the Taiwan Johnson, Bayou City, Miracle, whatever. Apparently, according to Deshaun Watson, as soon as the ball was snapped, he realized that Kevin Johnson had recognized the signal that they used to drop into that hot route and had completely covered hop, which is why he didn't get the ball out right away. And then he kind of knew that, according to him, he knew that since Kevin Johnson recognized the route, that he would be over-aggressive on shutting Hop down. That's why he knew somebody to that side would be open, which allowed him to find, to find Taiwan Jones. Now, yeah, Go ahead. The reason that I put this under coaching is there's a little bit of a Twitter debate do you think that it's concerning that a player that was cut way back in March still knows the hand signals to transition into new plays? No. No. And honestly, I don't think that I don't think Kevin Johnson knew, to be honest with you. I really don't. You want to elaborate on any on that, or you're just going to go with you just think the whole thing's just. Uh, I just think it's a, you know. I mean, I'd rather talk about Deshaun and his girlfriends than than that, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, fair enough. And we're not talking about Deshaun and his girlfriends. Not this week. We'll, no, we'll save no, we that. Not. We'll save that. We'll, we, we have all offseason to talk about that. Yes. Um, all right, go ahead. All right. Um, did you want to talk any more about Lance Airlines' interview? Uh, I mean, you I covered it well enough, or are you... Yeah, I don't think we really need to get into it. I, I mean, I know Lance is connected. I'll never disrespect Lance and his views and his thoughts. Um, he does have um, he does have um, connections in the office. He's he's a Houston. I, I would almost say Lance Irline is a Houston legend. 
um, at least when it comes to sports uh, or, or sports media or journalism. Um, I really love what he says. I think he can be an asshole at times. Um, I, I've talked to him quite a bit. He, like I've said before, he's friends with my family. Um, so when he says something, I'm always going to listen. My ears are going to perk up. But at the same time, um, I, I don't put any real stock into any of it, to be honest with you. I just don't. Yeah, I, again, I'm just going to reiterate my comment from earlier. I don't know what sort of adjustments are being made after the fact. I doubt very much that Bill O'Brien is dropping in plays that they've never ran before. If anything, it's something, like you said, hey, this team was a little bit aggressive on this play or we've had success against this coverage for this play, and he's coming in after the walkthrough. Now, yeah, now I don't really know what that means, to tell you the truth. I don't know how much – I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing. Because we've talked about how over-controlling Bill O'Brien supposedly is, where he has to have his hand on every single little thing. But if he's actually so far removed from the team during the week that because of GM responsibilities that he's dropping things in at the walkthrough, then he can't possibly be that controlling. He's just got too many hats that he's wearing. Here's what I'll say. I'll say this about Lance. Lance is not my uncle when it comes to his approach to this team. But Lance is also kind of close to my uncle in his pessimistic view of the Houston Texans at times. So, um, like I said, what I think happens is I think he looks at the game plan and he sees on a third and nine a specific play call. He goes back and says, hey, they like to play a lot of cover two on third and nine. Um, It's very similar to what the Ravens did here. If you look at this play that we beat the Ravens with, I think this would be ideal in this situation. That's literally, I think, the gist of all of it. If, it, if, if anybody thinks that Bill O'Brien is scrapping an entire game plan and coming up with a whole new one on Friday, you're an absolute idiot. Yeah, and I'll just add this about Lance. Lance knows, Lance has forgotten more about football than I will ever know. Like He, he knows this stuff. He's smart. However, if you do pick up on a lot of the things he's said, he grew up in a football family, so if player if teams aren't ran like the teams that his dad has coached for, especially the successful teams that his dad has coached for, he thinks that they're doing it wrong. For him, he he is flexible enough to understand that there's more than one way to get things done. However, if he hasn't seen it been done in a way that is successful, he is very quick to call that out, and this could could potentially be one of those. However, in his and your uncle's defense, at this point, I mean, they're right. We should be pessimistic. We really shouldn't be optimistic. What has this team ever done, either franchise, the Titans slash Oilers or the Texans, done to um, to justify optimism? Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right. Let's get into... Wait, what? No-name practice squad wide receiver? Talk? Oh, oh, Michael Campanero. Yeah, that idiot. Yeah, I don't even want to give him any time. Uh, he had 330 yards in his career in five years with the Ravens. Uh, no, you get you get zero time on our platform. You're an absolute just idiot, and you have no reason to ever take put out a take on J.J. Watt. 
enjoy your job at Geek Squad, and if I ever need a TV mounted, I'll be sure to call. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't actually going to use his name. There was a reason why I called, uh, called him a no-name practice squad player. However, it was more to bring up the argument that he kind of started. Do we think that ESPN just gave him, gave JJ too much love? I mean, look, I've been critical of the amount of marketing and things that JJ gets for this team. You know, I'd like to see it start to transcend or transition into, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson, kind of the new age of the Texans team and roster as far as being the face of this team. And a lot of it just has to do with the race factor that bothers me the most. But I will say this. J.J. Watt is as America as you can get. Honestly, there is nobody else in the sports world that is America the way J.J. Watt is America. And there's not. John, you can laugh as much as you want. Stop muting when you laugh. I, I want them to hear you laugh. There's no reason no, to I'm, mute. I'm not muted. I, I'm, I promise you. It's not muted. I'm just trying, I'm trying to hold it in because this is coming from you, the way that you're even saying it. J.J. Watt is as America as America. Like, this isn't James. This isn't a James sentence. This is what J.J. Watt does to kind of, like, break your brain a little bit. J.J. Watt is 4th of July. Yes. And apple pie and the American flag. And apple pie and a, and a bald eagles. Like, I, I, he probably has the bald eagle tattoo on his tramp stamp that we haven't seen yet. Like, J.J. Watt is truly an American hero, okay? So everybody understands. J.J. So, Watt is more of an American hero than Top Gun, the movie. Like, correct. Correct. He is more American than hot dogs on 4th of July, Okay. J.J. Watt is truly, he, that's who he is. And so when a guy comes back of that stature, ESPN is absolutely going to talk about it because J.J. Watt gets you ratings, it gets you conversations, it gets you everything that you want. There's a reason why J.J. is given a script and an ability to be able to make his own freaking game show called Tag or Dodgeball or whatever the hell he's doing that's coming out this summer, Okay. There's not another athlete that's getting that type of platform. Not the LeBron James. Not None of those people. LeBron has to go to HBO. He has to go create his own way. JJ can literally show up to a meeting with any CEO in the country and get one on demand. That is JJ Watt. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and you can't and, forget that we're, we're living in JJ Watt's movie right now. Like they're writing it as we live. Five, ten years from yeah. now, we're all going to be going to the movie theater to watch the J.J. Watt story, whatever they decide to call it. It's going to be a Disney movie, so it won't be called Megawatt, but it'll be something crazy. And we potentially watched the climax of it last night. However, hopefully, you know, we'll get a little bit more. The movie title is going to be Watt About Nothing. <laughs> and it's it's going to be directed by... Bob Iger from Disney himself, the, the the CEO of Disney is going to direct this movie, and The Rock is going to play J.J. Watt, and it, it's going to be the best movie ever made, and there's going to be tons of Fourth of July stuff, there's going to be two beautiful dogs in there, it, it's just going to be everything that you can envision America to be, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to make a billion dollars, but honestly, like ESPN's going to talk about J.J. Watt, like I get it, it it's frustrating, I, luckily for us, like we were at Twin Peaks, so even though they had the sound on, we couldn't hear it. Um, so I didn't hear all the love JJ was getting. I saw it on Twitter. But look, I mean, the guy's been gone for eight weeks. 
He's the best defensive player that we'll ever see. I mean, and he had an impact on the game. So, like, you just put all those together and you have a recipe of let's talk about J.J. Watt. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I love J.J. Um, we should probably start recording on video again. Then I can show you all the shit I have in my room that's J.J. that James probably Don't you have a J.J. Don't you have a JJ blow-up doll? Not quite a blow-up doll, but there's a little, oh, a little, okay. you know, one of those cuddle pillows. But oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought it was so, a blow-up doll. Love JJ, and for the longest time, he was the absolute and only reason why the Texans would ever get anything positive said about them. And he still is to an extent. Now Deshaun has brought more to it, so hopefully it doesn't have to just be JJ. But it has been J.J., and it for good reason. He is absolutely the best defensive player that, w- that we will see. We've definitely seen so far in our lifetimes, and who knows if we will ever have another player that has that sort of an impact on a, on a team. And it is what it is. Enjoy it while we can. And, no, fuck, no, and fuck all y'all, <laughs> all y'all hating about it. Like, seriously. All right. All right. We got a little F-bomb from John today. Fantastic. All right. I thought that, you know, you only got heated during Kobe and James Harden discussions, but it looks like J.J. Watson, another <laughs> nerve to strike. Cool. No, no, uh, that was us trying to get you pissed off. Yeah, yeah. I have a way I want to end this podcast, so we'll wait until the end here. But um, uh, all right. Uh, so uh, 0-3 in divisional round. Okay, uh, yes, yes, it's okay. Uh, this is the first time you've seen this. Uh, lost to the Patriots and once to the Ravens. Yep, all time. We are 0-3 in the divisional round. Um, the good thing is we get a new opponent to lose to. That's stupid. I'm taking that out, and I'm going to erase that from the audio because we are not going to lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but you're right, John. This, we couldn't ask for a better matchup. We couldn't ask for a team that we're more familiar with that's outside of our division. Uh, we've played the Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, we played the Kansas City Chiefs a lot. Um and I am not worried about this team at all. I'm really not. I'm, I'm not worried about it. There's lots of talk about uh, from the national media about how the Chiefs defense has turned a corner, how they're that much better. Well, they gave up 31 points to the Packers, 35 points to the Titans. Other than that, they played the Broncos, Raiders, Chargers twice, Patriots, and Bears. I'm not buying that their defense has turned a corner. Not. I'm not buying it. So... Yeah, and I think we're almost like two hours in on the podcast, so I don't know how deep we're going to get on this Chiefs matchup. But I will say this. Last time we ran for 192 in our first meeting, we controlled possession of the game, kept Mahomes off the field. Uh, You know, for the haters out there, you guys are going to say that his ankle was hurt, and that's why we won. If that's the case, log off and unsubscribe, please, Um, because that's not accurate. We won because we came in with a game plan that was – Will, that was good enough to be able to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I, I think, like I said, uh, I don't know. This this offense isn't that high-octane powered offense that everybody was talking about last year. They were averaging 35 points a game last year. This year they're averaging 28. That's a full touchdown difference. They're the number six offense in the league. Uh, we match up great with them. I think Bradley Roby can roll with Tyreek. I'm not worried about it. We have Lonnie Johnson to play on Travis Kelsey. You'll see a lot of Lonnie this game. 
I believe that the Texans are going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round in Kansas City at, in Arrowhead Stadium, and we are going to meet the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC Championship game. That's what I believe. Wow, that is way more optimistic than I expected out of you. No, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. If it was the Ravens, you'd pr- we would probably be doing another podcast this week talking about the Ravens and how we can learn from what we did against them. I just am not worried about the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not. And, and maybe I should be. Maybe maybe I'm overlooking them. But I think that this offense against that defense, I think it's just a perfect matchup. I think what we do well, they cannot stop. And I think what they do well, we have the potential to stop. And I think it's literally that easy. Oh, now I, it's an execution, right? I, I agree with you, but I still fear them because they're one of those teams that offense can go absolutely nuclear. And even with Fuller this year, our offense really hasn't seemed to be that quick strike, um, big play offense that it has been in the past. I feel as though every single game that we've watched this year, it felt like even when we scored, it's always been after these long, methodical drives. And... Here's the thing with the Chiefs and Tyree Kill. They can score in a hurry, and that's going to continue to terrify me, even with our much, much, much more athletic secondary than we had at the beginning of the year. Um, We match up better now than we even did when we beat them in week six. However, Mahomes has had enough time to get whatever was hurt on him fixed. Granted, they haven't – they have really missed Kareem Hunt. They have, having a solid running back has really affected that offense in a way. And to tell you the truth, for me, it comes down to the fact that our better players, we have more stars than they do on both sides of the ball. And I think that's ultimately what's going to make the difference. However, did you hear Honey Badger is an all-pro? Uh, yeah, sorry, my wife just came home and decided to uh, bring Whataburger home at 10 o'clock, 10.30 on a Sunday night, so uh, I was trying to decide where we were eating that at. Um, okay. <laughs> um, the Honey Badger is not an all-pro. He's not defensive player of the year. He honestly shouldn't even be a Pro Bowl safety. I can think of 10 safeties that I would rather have than the Honey Badger on my team. Yeah, make that face all you want. I can name them off if you want me to. Um uh, the Honey Badger doesn't scare me. I think he thrives better in that system than he did with our system. I think they let him roam more, which is what he does. That's what he's better at. Um, but his wrapping up, his tackling is still a problem. Um, he also is still taking sometimes too many risks. I, I, I honestly, uh, I can come off as a hater, and that's fine if that's how you guys feel. My Still to this day, the biggest issue I have with our offseason is not re-signing Kareem Jackson, not Honey Badger. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Even with the four-game suspension, if I knew that there was going to be a four-game suspension for uh, performance-related drugs, I still would have signed Kareem Jackson over Honey Badger. Oh, yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that. So I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I, I just – I, I, he seems to be in the right place at the right time when it comes to these picks he's getting. 
the one thing I'll say is there was one pick he did jump the route. Uh, I forgot, maybe against the Ravens, and it was a beautiful play. He, he really he did an amazing job. Um, but he's still the same guy. If you get in his head, if you get him rattled early, if you target him early, he is going to collapse. That is how he works. He talks shit. He acts big on, big on IG. He acts big on Twitter. But when you target him and you're able to beat him, he starts to doubt himself. And that's how he makes up for it, is by going on social media. And I think that we will trash his ass next week. That's the only reason I want Will Fuller to be healthy. It's just so Will Fuller can crush his hopes and dreams and his spirit. I think Kenny Stills can crush his hope and dreams and spirit. He, no, I agree Kenny Stills can. But with Will Fuller, it's just much more obvious. I agree. But how I, – I, I guess – so I mean, we didn't talk about Will Fuller, and the whole point was to not talk about Will Fuller this this podcast – my thing is, if Will Fuller plays, how long is he going to play next week? Just if, I'm the Texans, if I'm just, the Texans, if I'm the Texans, healthy. I just want him to play enough to get a makeup for dropping the touchdown against the Chiefs. That's if it. I'm the Texans and he's healthy, first play of the game, I run him on a that that crossing routes between him and Hop, and I target him deep first play, just to keep that defense honest, and then I take him out of the game and put Kenny in, and then when we need him, we'll put him in. I would not build my offense around Will Fuller. I would almost pretend as if he doesn't exist, and if he's able to play, insert him into whatever role Kenny Stills was going to play. Oh, I absolutely agree, and the one thing that I would change about what you said is I would make sure that it is targeting Tyron Matthew. I agree. Well, or or, or Stephen Mitchell. Like their, their corners are not good. Right, their corners like are not good, and this is this isn't about targeting it at Mitchell because it's a higher rate of success. I'd want to do it at Matthew to take their heart out. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think it's a great plan. I would agree 100%. Um, all right, what else do we have, John? How long are we? Where are we? Uh, we're, this at one, at we're at 137. Wow, this is great. This is a good podcast. Those other guys that do Texans podcasts, they talk about the Texans for 25 minutes, and then they just bullshit around. You guys just got 137 minutes about Houston Texans football, and you're getting it a day or two early. So thank you, Preston. Thank you, John, for being available on a Sunday night to record this podcast. Um, I hope to catch all of you, anybody, two-and-a-half-hour drive from Houston to come to Round Rock slash Austin to watch the game with us. We had a freaking blast, guys. This was amazing. So come out. Have fun with us. Shoot us, a, shoot us an email, james at texansunfiltered.com. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on IG. We want to fill that place up. I am excited for this game. I am optimistic about this game. I really believe that the AFC Championship is in our future. So with that being said, John, what else do you have? I think that uh, at 139 minutes, as I am speaking, is <laughs> is enough for him this week. Um, okay. Maybe we'll put out another one pregame. Um, yeah. We'll just do an IG. Why don't we just get to Twin Peaks like 45 minutes early and, and just do an IG? Yeah, that's something we could possibly do. I have, I'm down for that. I'm, my wife's going to be in Dallas, so I'm definitely cool with that. Oh, okay, sweet. She'll be at tight ends while we're at Twin Peaks. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> all right, guys. You know where to find us. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Just type in... Uh, Texans Unfiltered, that's the name of our podcast that I just forgot that you guys are listening to. Uh, the outro is going to take care of the rest. And for the rest of you guys, I'm Young Ari Gold, signing off. 
Kobe Bryant is the best offensive scorer in NBA history. Loved this episode of Texans Unfiltered? We'd love for you to be a Patreon supporter. Your support allows us to provide you with the best Texans podcast possible. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HoustonFBPod and everywhere podcasts can be found. And join our community on www.texansunfiltered.com or on Discord at Texans Unfiltered. Thank you for listening. Until next time.